Hi folks, this is Adrienne A. Wallace and you have reached me in the life room. Thanks for joining. Today I'd like to talk a bit about a segment of multicultural marketing that is regarded as AFAM. I started a podcast this year talking about various types of marketing, various categories of marketing, and wanted to focus on some subsets and some um, categories that have tremendous focus of late. And this is a good thing. Um, We are a planet that is tanning. Um, Families, no matter what their uh, ethnic backgrounds are, are particularly blended. Um, There are in any given family right now, um, multiple um, generations of people who are from different ethnic backgrounds, creating true global citizens in the households across America. And this is a really good thing. But yet and still, as we look at multicultural marketing and we look at total market experiences, when we look to offer very specific products, um, products that are food-oriented, products that are health and beauty-oriented, we need to look very, very specifically at our consumer, their ethnic background, their skin color, the texture of uh, their skin and even the texture of their hair, as the case may be. This being summer um, is one of the high seasons for a lot of beauty, health and beauty aid marketers, and particularly um, for folks who are even marketing food, because um, in North America in particular, it's high season for barbecuing, but it's also high season for travel. And what that means is that folks are discovering a lot of new and ethnic foods when they visit various places and various islands. Um, And they're coming back um, with a palate ready for and reminiscing um, some of the ethnic uh, foods that they may have partaken while on vacations. So while this is happening and it's really um, just on the cusp of summer, I wanted to focus on the black or otherwise known as the AFAM market as it relates to health and beauty aids and food products. And um, there are many, many things about um, the African-American market that we need to understand. Um, One of the most diverse markets, actually, um, and most complex markets to, to offer food services, uh, food products, and health and beauty aids too, is the African-American market. Um, This is a market that uh, has foods that, um, by virtue of culture, people deem as part of their background simply because of the color of one's skin. And because uh, they may hail from certain parts of the country or outside of the country, that is the United States. So we hear fried chicken, and what do you think? And you oftentimes think Southern. Um, As a cuisine, it's definitively Southern. Um, You often think Black people eat a lot of fried chicken. And funny enough... um, For the black people that I know, that's not the case. 
Um, so that assumption is something that we have to be very, very careful not to make. I remember McDonald's getting in trouble a little while back for an ad that they did um, that made some audacious assumptions about what black people consume um, in the way of a um, a fried chicken wrap um, and making the decision that because it was that, that that was the market to appeal to. Um, so what they think was obvious actually um, ended up really to their demise. They ended up having to pull the ad from all sources of media and all platforms. Um, and it was also very, very embarrassing for the talent that they had employed um, as their brand ambassador, that being Mary J. Blige. And so it's very, very important to understand um, the background and the acculturation and the association of certain foods and why people prepare certain foods in certain ways. My understanding is that fried chicken originated from the need to preserve your food a little bit longer, the need to protect your food, and the need to actually ha keep the skin on the food um, so that the food would last longer. So it involved a lot of salting, a lot of deep frying with the skin on because of a lack of refrigeration for poorer people, predominantly in the South. And so the origination of um, of fried chicken, um, while it had now comes in various flavorings and it can be spicy or it can be the breast versus the leg or the wing, as the case may be, um, it is really categorized as, while as yummy as it can be, it's categorized as a food that um, came about by virtue of a survival tactic um, as opposed to actual cuisine for enjoyment. And we know that if it's, um, if it's eaten in large portions and, and um, if it's not prepared properly, it can actually make you sick. It can lead to a lot of um, illnesses by having overconsumption of that particular item. So um, we also think about um, foods like leafy greens, otherwise known as collard greens, and we think about pork, and we think about certain other foods. And when we think about these foods, we associate them again with Southern culture, Black culture, and that that's something that Black people eat all the time. Again, these are survival foods. So the origination of the collard green, how it was discovered, um, while they are very, very good for you, um, the fact of the matter is, as a family um, in the times of uh, slavery, actually would uh, procure <laughs> greens or, or trade off um, one land from the next. Um, someone might be picking cotton and someone may be cultivating collard greens. And the slaves would actually trade off these items. Um, so someone would provide you know, cotton that they had um, taken and hidden from bales of cotton that they they were pulling for their masters. And, um, you know, others were cultivating in the fields collard greens and corn and things of that nature. And they would set some aside so that they would trade um, because the cotton was used for knitting, knitting and creating clothing. And of course, the collard greens for providing uh, sustenance to, to a family. Um, 
there's something called in the South called pot liquor, and that is actually the use of um, the water that comes, the green water that comes from boiling down collard greens. And they would actually drink that and found that that um, with a little bit of salt and pepper was actually um, very, very nourishing or satisfying um, and provided a very, very cheap soup to families who really had to make what they had have uh, stretch. So food marketers in particular need to be very, very um, conscientious and aware um, in this day and age of how they go about marketing certain foods and um, whether or not these foods are considered fanciful. Also, whether or not these foods are predominantly healthy today for folks to be eating. And what is the history? What is the history and the origination of that food as they go about marketing foods to specific segments, particularly the black segment of, um, of our consumer base. Health and beauty aids. Health and beauty aids is a huge area. Um, when you look at health aids, um, there's this notion that, you know, everybody is the same and everybody is made up and has a need for certain nutrients. The truth of the matter is, is that certain skin types and certain um, skin colors may produce more melanin than other, other skin colors. Um, and while we all need to be protected from the ultraviolet rays of the sun, for example, and we all need vitamin D, there, depending on the color of your skin, whether you are black or white or something else, the truth of the matter is, is that your melanin production in your skin is different and therefore the ability to protect yourself from the sun and or how your body heals, your skin heals and recovers from injury or trauma is going to be different on that basis. And because there is a diaspora of flesh tones and colors within black culture all across the world, it's important to not make assumptions when creating formulations for skin. And um, so we find ourselves um, when we are situated in the beauty space, the health and beauty space, having to um, be really, really distinct about the formulations that we come up with. Um, I heard a joke the other day, and it was a white woman who was talking about one of her best friends, who's a black woman, who she thought had the most clear, beautiful brown skin she'd ever seen. And she didn't understand, like, why is her skin so perfect? Why is her skin so beautiful? It's so smooth. It's so soft. It's so even all throughout. And long story short, um, while that may be a distinction of two things, melanin and DNA, the white woman said that she felt like for many, many years, or she had discovered for many, many years that her black friend was holding out on her. Her black friend had not told her about shea butter. And shea butter, she says, is something that keeps your skin smooth. It helps to eliminate blemishes. It helps your skin to recover and heal quicker from trauma without having any uh, blemishes left over as a result. And she said, you know, um, and you know, white people get ashy too. So white people develop an ash um, on their skin, just like black people would or people of other color would, where there is a bit of a gray haze against the skin, which is a little bit of buildup or a lifting of dead skin cells. 
Um, and so lotions and, and um, sometimes petroleum-based ointments and shea butter and cocoa butters um, are typically what folks use to soften that skin and to, um, to manage the, the, uh, the dryness that's there. So she said that her friend had for many, many years been holding out on her, had not revealed to her um, that shea butter was something that she was using on her skin. And shea butter truly, I can say personally, is good for all skin types. But what you're finding now is that as beauty companies are discovering this and beauty companies are going about the business of creating lotions and formulations, they're noting on their packaging and hopefully including as an ingredient natural shea butter. And this is catchy. So it's something that obviously resonates with the black culture because they're accustomed to using it. Their grandmothers use it with them. Shea butter originates from Africa. It comes from a nut. It's very, very rich um, and can be very, very expensive. Um, and oftentimes when you look to find it in its natural form, while you can find it online at an online retailer, if you go into the urban populations across the, the, the U.S., um, there are health and beauty aid stores that ironically tend to be um, owned and run by Asians that will have uh, shea butter. And um, they'll have shea butter uh, naturally available in uh, little containers that look like Tupperware containers, or they may have products that um, claim or contain, claim to contain shea butter. So this is, um, this is interesting, this diaspora and what's being learned from this diaspora and what's being translated. Let's look at hair. So hair textures, whether you are black or Asian or white or Hispanic, people have a variety of different hair textures. They really, really do. And their hair textures vary um, based on a number of things. But with the tanning of our society, we're finding more people with a combined hair texture that tends to be more on the side of wavy curly. We also have, within black culture, a massive, over the past five years, natural hair movement. What does this say to product companies? It says to product companies that are offering products that straighten your hair, relaxers and things of that nature, that, listen, this market is shrinking because of the chemical compounds that are in these relaxers and folks are deciding that they're not going to do them anymore. Um, who's winning in this? Who is winning in this are the health and beauty aid companies that are providing products that really help to enhance um, the texture of natural hair, keep it moist, keep it styleable, um, keep it clean. And so those are the companies and those are the trends um, that we see winning now over the past five years. There's been a dramatic change. You will talk to hairdressers who do ethnic hair, and they will say that very few people are getting their hair relaxed anymore. They're going about using heat to straighten their hair or blow dry their hair. There's also um, a very, very strong push towards here that um, that looks more original to um, places that that a lot of black people hail from. So you'll see a lot more people wearing cornrows, 
wearing their hair in dreadlocks, wearing their hair twisted, wearing their hair out in what would uh, look like or be called an, an afro. And you're seeing more and more of that because people are really looking at their histories, embracing their histories, and really adorning themselves by having their hair, or rather their crown, be a symbol of pride in who it is that they, they are. Um, and the cultural appropriation um, is something that has been abused in society in the past. I mean, we look back to many, many years ago in the 1970s, there was a movie called 10. And in this movie, beautiful white woman, um, Bo Derek, you know, she was that 10 woman, but she had her hair braided back in cornrows. And I do believe with beads on the end, which is a very, very African styling for hair, um, and is very, very tribal and truly ethnically, um, disposition towards Africans. Um, but not understanding what the nature of the styling is, why the styling, why do African women wear their hair that way? We have really taken a lot of what is culture and we see a lot of what is culture for black and African American people being bastardized sometimes by brands and advertisers who don't necessarily understand how to appropriately, um, infuse that cultural aspect into their expressions, into their advertising, into their marketing. So it's an area of sensitivity for Black and African American consumers that most people should be aware of. We should also be aware of this in our work environments as well. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of curiosity and there will always be a lot of curiosity around the multitude of skin colors, the variables of skin colors, the different hair textures, um, the versatility of black hair, but also um, there's a lack of sensitivity um, to how sensitive people are about their hair, particularly black women. There are whole magazines that are in hair shops and hair salons and that are dedicated um, to, to black women and the styling of their hair and the coloring of their hair and the cutting and the treatment of their hair. Um, so it is a huge area um, of concentration. When we um, flip back to skin and skin care, there's, you know, going beyond skin care, there's makeup. And black women have an ongoing concern for those who wear makeup. And you don't hear it as much anymore because of the preeminence of um, makeup artists who are creating products now and integrated into the laboratories of these health and beauty aid companies. And they're helping to create products that are appropriate for the skin and skin color of African-American and black women. And that's a huge win on the consumer front in health and beauty aids. And that win continues. So as you go to social media and you look at things like Pinterest and you look at things like um, Instagram, where things are really about picture-based content, you're going to find a lot of richness, a lot of loyalty, a lot of um, all hail the queen expressions around black women, their makeup, their their hair, their skin color. And the, the thing is, is that this is an investment that health and beauty aids companies absolutely should definitely make. Um, and if they make this investment in this space, they're what they need to understand is they are actually touching 
areas of high sensitivity to African-American and Black women consumers. When they see that you understand, that you care about that, that you like to project their beauties in all the various ways that it exists, they're more likely to try your products and more likely to become loyalist to your products and certainly more likely to recommend it to the legacy of women that they know. And so there are good things happening with the African-American market, be it in the food product space or the health and beauty aid space. It's just that you simply have to know the African-American and black market is diverse. So final word on the food space, ethnically diverse. So it means that it's not just fried chicken and collard greens and corn and cornbread, you guys. It is a variety of different foods. There are huge, when we speak about African-Americans, we really are talking about people who hail from the continent of Africa. And we talk about black people, we're talking about people who hail from virtually every other space and they are black and they are ethnically diverse and the foods that they eat are very, very diverse. There are some who don't eat pork. There are some who don't eat chicken. There are some who don't eat beef. There are some who eat all of those things, but the way that they prepare them, the spices that they use, the organic nature of those foods, all of those things are very, very important to them. So who's winning in that space? Who's winning in that space are companies that really, really understand this. Um, who's winning in that space are organic marketers, um, your whole foods of the world. Um, a company that I recently discovered called Saffron Road um, is winning big in that space. They're making foods that are um, ethnically diverse, that are, that are great, um, wonderful spices. So they're making Indian food, Thai food, Mexican food. Um, so winning in that space is really about understanding the culture, appropriating properly, making sure that the foods are as authentic as can be in terms of not only their preparation, um, you know, GMOs are probably something that with more ethnically diverse cultures, it's something that is truly, truly offensive to them. While I think that GMOs are probably offensive to a lot of, of people, there are some foods that we can't help but produce them in mass in that way. And there are other foods that we do have the land, the space, the time to cultivate them so that they're truly, truly authentic, not only to the palate, but to the unique ethnic consumer that is partaking of them. So those are my thoughts as it relates to the African-American market and the diaspora um, that is incorporated into that consumer grouping as it relates to health and beauty and as it relates to food. Um, I keep looking at these two segments of, of um, and categories of, of offering to consumers because no matter what, as long as we're alive and breathing, we're going to be looking to take care of ourselves from a health and beauty standpoint. And we will always need to maintain our subsistence and sustenance through eating foods. And so um, these are areas that I think that marketers who are looking to really entrench their skills um, and their grand aptitude, be it in digital, be it in um be it in, in other areas of marketing, be it in PR, be it in content marketing, these are these are two areas, two categories of um, of offering that and industries that need to be looked at critically and invested in, and possibly a good place to invest our talents in as multicultural marketers and those who are culturalists and appreciate all ethnicities as well. 
Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your sharing. If there's anything that you'd like to collaborate on or like to talk with me about, please don't hesitate to reach out either on LinkedIn or uh, comment on SoundCloud or Twitter or however it is that this reaches you. Have a great weekend and I look forward to connecting again soon. Take care.